All right, guys, it's happening. Heather and I are going to go at it. I don't know if y'all have seen us talk about the wedding tax on either of our platforms, but we have very different perspectives that we have publicly shared about the wedding tax. So we are going to dive into it today. Things may get a little heated. I don't know. This could be the very last episode you ever hear of the Union Podcast because we've just parted ways after this. Who knows? Stay tuned to find out. In the first half, vendors, we're talking straight at you. Do not accidentally tax your clients. And couples, second half, we're coming straight at you. Don't assume that the tax exists just because you dropped the word wedding. So let's jump right on into it. We are gathered here today to bring together the wedding community. Whether you are a seasoned pro, a newbie planning to start your own wedding business, or an engaged couple hoping to see behind the scenes, we're here to share tips, tricks, and laughs with you as we talk weddings. The Union Podcast is a show that aims to build a community for those in the wedding planning trenches. Join Jamie Wolfer, Heather Laurie Fear, and special guests in roundtable discussions about the challenges and joys of the wedding business. And now, here come your hosts, Jamie and Heather. Oh my goodness, Heather, we're doing it. We're talking about something super controversial today, you guys. The wedding tax. This is like we're going to have a debate, but kind of, but kind of not, because I think in certain ways we can see each other's opinions, but publicly you and I have talked about the wedding tax in very different ways. Oh my goodness. Very different ways. In fact, Heather and I were chatting about this a little bit beforehand and then we found it so unique that we had seen two completely different perspectives. I think it's probably helpful to kind of define what the wedding tax is. So for those of you who are listening, in case you've either never heard this term before, or you didn't know that's what this was called, it'll kind of give you some like a foundation going kind of through what we're talking about. In my opinion, and from what I've seen, the wedding tax is an added fee that is placed upon services simply because the client is booking this service for a wedding. So in my opinion, and what I've heard is that people will charge more just because it's a wedding, because they can. That's been the implication behind the term wedding tax from the way that I've understood it and the way that it's been shared with me. Heather, do you feel like that's accurate? Do you feel like like you heard it in other ways? What, how would you define wedding tax? I think that pretty much sums it up. I've seen a lot of couples in different forums and in the community that I run asking, you know, should I just not tell them that I'm having a wedding? Should I call it an anniversary party? Should I just not mention what type of party it is? And seeing that as a way to skate around this like upcharge or fee or wedding tax as it's called. And realistically, one lying is never a good way to start a relationship with a vendor. So I do not advise them to do that, but it is something that is in a way real, but is it real as in the vendors are making out some big profits from this? And it's a very intentional thing. I think that's really what we're going to be discussing today. Yeah. And that's, I think it's, it's the malicious and or evil and or greedy intent behind a wedding being more expensive than other experiences that really gets me going a little bit, especially because like Heather, you and I, we have so many friends who are small business owners. Mm. Like it's just, they're just solopreneurs in the wedding industry. And I know so many of you listening are also solopreneurs, which basically means it's just you, you're out there hustling, you're out there grinding. And then for someone to say, you just charge more because you work weddings. And you're like, do you know, do you know how long it takes me to to clean my gear before a wedding? 
Do you know how long it takes me to get everything ready and how much stuff I have to cart back and forth? Do you know how long it takes to get my website up and ready or editing takes for photographers? Goodness gracious, I could not, I couldn't imagine. Or for like wedding videography, listen, I edit videos. I know how much that sucks. (laughs) I couldn't imagine that like it being one person's like best day of their life and then being responsible for that. Oof, that makes me want to sweat. But for most of us vendors to hear, well, you charge more because it's weddings. You just go, I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. No, you just don't see all the work that goes behind the scenes. And that I feel like was probably, I feel like it's safe to say that was felt like my approach on the YouTube video that I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's all very fair because vendors do invest so much more time than what couples ever see not only on post-production and actually, you know, getting organized and connecting all the dots. If you're a planner, talking to all the vendors, laying that foundation really neatly, but also in the marketing side. And that's the part that I really like to pull the curtain back on and discuss with couples, because I feel like if they understand a little bit more what happens broadly in the wedding industry, it's easier for them to understand why it costs more to hire a wedding vendor. Yeah, absolutely. And and I would say that there's probably a lot of our listeners right now who are like, yeah, I don't, I've never really thought about the cost of advertising being the cost of business, mm-hmm. you know, because for a long time, I didn't think of it that way. I just thought of it money going out, money coming in. It just kind of all evens itself out. Hopefully at one point, you know, maybe there'll be some money I get to take home, but I never really equated the two. So I had never thought of it that way for a long time either. Right. And vendors, a lot of them are really amazing craftspeople. Like they have their skills and man, can they do a great job with that skill, but they are often new to running a business, which means they're new to the marketing. They're new to developing a website. They're new to all the systems and billing and all these things that take time and that are part of delivering the service you give to a client beyond that actual craft, right? And solopreneurs, you're doing it all yourself. So sometimes making up that little invoice takes you way longer than it would for someone who knows Dude, right? knows that skill, right? So all of that's cooked into the cost for each person. But I think the really important part that I like to focus on is the marketing cost and what is a vendor's cost to acquire a client. And if you guys listening, take one thing away, I hope you you calculate this for your business because this will illuminate a reality for you depending on how you're doing your marketing. Yeah. Because if you can kind of sit down and calculate how much do you spend on advertising, because there's a bunch of websites out there and Heather and I've talked about them before. I mean, maybe not in podcasts, maybe just between the two of us, but like, I'm not going to name any names, but you know, one rhymes with snot and <laughs> one rhymes with betting buyer and where we as vendors pay to have our names listed on there. And then if you calculate out how many events you actually get from there against the cost, how much does it cost you to acquire these clients? How long did it take for you to get these clients? And then the time that you spend with them, nurturing them and ideally bringing them in and assigning them on as clients, like that stuff adds up. It does. And because most companies feel almost an obligation to be on these platforms, because if you're not there, like, do you even exist? 
And the reality is you do, and there are other ways to market yourself, but this industry has for a a good amount of time really leaned into these mega platforms to handle the marketing and the introduction to clients that, and also like bridal shows, which are not a cheap thing to get into either. There are many avenues in this industry that are just super expensive ways to get exposure and leads. And that's a huge part of why Jamie and I like to tell you guys, you know, get online, let's go digital, let's find other ways to bring in clients at a much lower cost. Because then if your price does stay the same, which that's cool, you actually will profit a little bit more. And if you feel inclined, you could adjust your prices to end up at the same place because now maybe instead of paying hundreds of dollars per client you acquire, maybe you're paying 50 or 20 or whatever you can bring that number down to. And a really good example of this that I can share that harks back to one of the first episodes we did with Max I met with him one-on-one and we were digging into all this stuff because I actually was handed over the trademark for wedding hacker from him. And he's a lovely person for doing that for me. And he just thought, wow, what a cool mission to try to help the couples who right now can't really get any support through your company. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm like probably too nice. And this is a dumb plan, but he's like, no, seriously, think about this industry. It is overcharging couples in all sorts of ways because the cost of being on these major platforms trickles down to those couples. And then you see those same big platforms share the average wedding cost. That's a big number. That's not very accurate. If you actually look at the data they use, they don't pull even numbers from a lot of states that I kind of broke it down in my book that there was 14 states that weren't even included. They were including around 14, 15,000 couples in this average. And that's, that's not nearly the number of weddings. And they're obviously, you know, doing the survey just to their own audience, their own following, which is super biased. So the cost of a wedding I think nobody knows what the actual cost is because are you counting weddings for every person who gets married? Is any person who gets a marriage license counting as a wedding, even if they just go to the courthouse or are we skipping those people? They don't count or what? You know, it would be really hard to figure that number out, but that inflated number puts pressure on couples. And then on top of that, you're pushing all these vendors to pay into this platform and that's not a small bill. Max actually told me that for him, he went all out on one of these big platforms that he put in over, I think it was 12 or $14,000 was like <gasps> a big package. Wait. Yeah. What? Yeah. To be the top sponsored guy on the page. And he ended up getting a few clients, like less than five off of those leads. And he then, you know, at the time I think was charging less than he does now. And it ended up being that exactly 50% of each sale he made, the money went to that company. So he basically said at that point, X company basically owned half my business. I was giving them half of my money to be in the position to get leads from them. And you guys, you can definitely get leads without giving half your business away. (laughs) So yeah. There's kind of this idea that there's like a, so the idea of the wedding text is people charge more because it's weddings, but what's happening and what Heather's sharing with us is like, we accidentally do it to ourselves. Yeah. We end up spending money in areas, especially acquiring clients and especially with digital marketing or advertising 
we're like we're making ourselves more expensive inherently by jumping on board and and having you know paid profiles on these websites, which have done a lot of people a lot of good. Please hear us there. We do know that there's a lot of power there. I have I have a page on on almost all of them. I just don't pay for them. <laughs> like I exist there. If someone's looking for us, I just I just don't pay for them. So we're not knocking what they do, and they've done brilliant things for the industry. And it really, but there is that negative added part of like we're accidentally giving ourselves a wedding tax or like yeah. putting that onto clients because we're marketing in such ways that aren't very effective. Right. They're not effective and they're super expensive and it's something where it's not benefiting the vendors. It's not benefiting the couples. It's yeah. really just benefiting these mega companies that are like, I don't even know the numbers what they're making, but it's hundreds of millions, if not more. They're just media giants and their whole ploy is get all the attention over here, get big sponsorships and do promotions for all these different companies and get sponsored positions from vendors. And the couples flock to them because they're just so well known. And so that's great. Yeah. But are they actually quality leads that come from it too? And that's, that's the other part where I've heard very bad feedback from most vendors about the quality of the leads from these big sites. Oh, the, every time I get a lead, almost guaranteed every time I get a lead from one of these platforms, they, they never go through. Yeah. And cause I don't remember last time I booked a lead off of any of these. Well, couples are on there with a, basically a huge sea of choices and are just going through being like, will you work? Will you work? Will you work? And when they've contacted 20 or 30 people in five minutes, like you're now competing against so many different companies that it's not really the process that's going to be best for you as a vendor. It's going to be a big amount of time you invest to open that conversation up and get to know them. And for the couple, honestly, it's not that great either. It makes it super stressful when you're in contact with that many vendors. Well, and I just like not to go too far off the trail here, but mm -hmm. it literally, I literally just thought, well, that adds to the scarcity mindset. Oh yeah. And then the competitive mindset for us as vendors to be like, well, snap, if they're, if they're emailing 20 other photographers and I got to get in, I got to get competitive. I got to get in here. And so it just kind of feeds into that cycle of, I mean, if they're contacting so many people in one fell swoop, that's going to give you a sense of urgency as a vendor to be like, wait, 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 hire me. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. I don't want to be just a, a C or like a, a, a speck in the sea. I, I want to be the person you pick. And it, it does create this anxiousness and, and that sense of competitiveness, which of course is something that like Heather and I've talked about multiple times. You guys are probably like, Oh my gosh, community over competition. We get it. But really it kind of adds into that cycle. So what we do when we advertise in that way or only in that way, it's extra expensive. It can really add a lot of stress on. And I know for a lot of us, it hasn't really proven successful or beneficial. So what we're doing is we're accidentally adding on our own wedding tax. Like we don't mean to, but we're just accidentally doing it. Yeah. And it's not benefiting anyone but those big companies. So it's just something for you guys to reflect on and really, again, go calculate your cost per acquisition. Like what's your cost to bring a new client who you actually are working with into the, to the room with you? it may be a really small amount of money. And if it is amazing, good job. And if it's a big amount of money, like let's get your marketing chops up to speed and figure out some ways to bring in amazing leads that are folks who really suit your brand and the style you like to work on and uh, bring them in for less money. I know Jamie and I both have different ways we've done our marketing but both of us are definitely not leaning into those big mega hubs 
for our leads. And I know it's way more powerful. And the folks we attract into our circles tend to really vibe with us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's for sure is, is exactly the truth. I mean, I've like that's how I get all my leads is from YouTube. It's all, almost 100% of my leads are from YouTube. I mean, I still get a couple from like the the big box website, so to speak, but none of them follow through. And they almost feel like sometimes they feel fake. Like if I'm being totally honest, I'm like, is this a real person? Because this doesn't sound real at all. And then I just won't hear anything back. But that maybe I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but like, hmm, that is something something does sound right to me. But <laughs> what I'm finding is like. Obviously, all of our leads are coming from YouTube, or, or I was going to say, or things like that. But that's literally the only thing that I have. So you know, just well, no, you there. have your Instagram stuff going, and you have a really nice website. You know, you oh, have these things really in place. Nice. That's really you're you're really sweet. I paid her to say that. You guys, are fine. <laughs> yeah, you um, owe me the money. <laughs> I'm waiting for my check. <laughs> uh, also, shout out to Jess from Letter and Creative. If you guys are looking for someone to help you with the the pretty stuff on the websites. Um, but, uh, dang it, Heather, I had a thought and now it's gone because you started saying nice things and it made my head swim. Where was it going? Um, I'm not sure. No, I got it. Okay. Okay, Okay, I'll go and then you go. Okay. Um, (laughs) it's, but that's one reason why we, we consistently push all of you guys into the digital space. That's why we do it. Like figuring out a, a lead generator or figuring out ways to give out free advice online because we're working to pivot you away from paying for advertising when you can create your own. So like stop slapping an accidental tax on top of yourself. You know, go back to the episode where we talk about the lead generators or the lead magnets. Go back to the episode where we talked with Max about doing your own advertising, like running your own ads on Facebook and take control of how you advertise your business because then you can be in control of basically how much you're spending. And then you can watch to see if there's a bigger difference in acquisition costs, because I can tell you for full certainty, there's a massive difference for us in acquisition costs ever since we took ownership of it and pushed into a digital space and stopped paying for slots on a list of a thousand other planners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that route is really just the knee jerk reaction of like, I have this type of business. This is just what I do. And I go to these places and I have myself out here and I pay them to, to put me on the top of the list or whatever. And I'm sure it works because people keep doing it. So I'm assuming it works. I personally have never done this because I have always known the online marketing stuff to a big enough degree to get things kickstarted. And I was honestly willing to put some of the sweat equity in to make some things to generate some attention. I spent time writing a whole book. I hosted a whole expo online. Like I put a lot of time in making those things so that people find me there and then build a rapport with me. And then suddenly they're in my program and it's really cool. But for you, you know, how much time you want to invest, what scale you want to go to with those sort of lead magnets and uh, whatnot are up to you and there's no right or wrong way to do it. You can also, you know, lean into something that's a little simpler, like doing some Facebook ads. I know if 
like we've already mentioned, that episode with Max is killer. You guys, it works really well. And if you're not in his Facebook community, um, you should be checking it out. You should also be in our Facebook community. Hey, nice. Good job, Heather. (laughs) Watching out for you guys. Uh, (laughs) But the community Max has, which he mentions in the episode, I think it's what um, wedding industry marketing pros or something, something along those lines is the name of the group. It is insane because I just watch photographer after florist after cake baker, you know, talking about how they ran a campaign based on this free program he outlines in that group and brought in enough leads for the whole year. Now, if there was ever a time that it's important to be able to bring in new leads, I I think now's the moment. Um, We can all use some fresh energy into our businesses, fresh lead flow. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, that's actually a really good point. Guys, <laughs> basically what she's telling you is you need to binge our entire podcast. <laughs> yes, that just wouldn't be a bad plan. Just listen to all of them, okay? And listen to how much we've grown since the beginning. It, we're like growing before your eyes. <laughs> we are. It's quite, quite comical to go back to those. Um, <laughs> but thank you for those who've stuck with us through this journey. Yeah been really fun. yeah you know a little, little shout out to you guys now i will say because we have touched on because you and i have basically from a surface level it sounds like spoken out very differently on the wedding tax mm-hmm. and yours was to urge clients to look out for how vendors are advertising mm-hmm. because that cost is going to roll up roll over onto them somehow mm-hmm. which is so smart to teach clients to to look out for that um and i agree i prefer to have clients look for their vendors either through word of mouth, as preferred vendors, on Instagram, following through hashtags, because then you have tangible evidence of who they are and who they worked with, as opposed to picking them off a list because there is no there's no linked accounts other than you can go to their Instagram or stuff like that off of these big box websites. But interesting that that was a, you know, a, a word of caution that you were sharing with clients because I agree. I just hadn't thought about it that way. I went the exact opposite route. I got on, <laughs> on this you got, video. You got like mama bear. I got mama vendors. bear over my vendors. I was like, how just, no, you don't get to talk about them like that. <laughs> but because going back to that original version of what we thought we were sharing with the wedding taxes, I wanted my viewers to know, I don't know a single vendor ever who's like, oh, it's a wedding. I'm going to charge you an extra 20% because I can. Mm-hmm. Never. So I feel like like the first half we of what we were talking about is really encouraging vendors to lean into making sure we're not accidentally slapping ourselves with this additional tax by not marketing correctly. Mm-hmm. But to any couples that are listening, also bear in mind that there is so much that goes on behind the scenes. You could call a bakery and tell them you want to pick up a cake for an anniversary party and they'll give you one cost. And call them back 20 minutes later and tell them that you want it for a wedding. And they may not even give you a cost over the phone or it may be bigger. But the difference that we're looking at here is the amount of time that vendor spends with you. There's likely not going to be 10 back and forth emails on an anniversary cake. There might be, but that's going to be an outlier experience. With a wedding cake, there's guaranteed to be 10, 15, 20, 30 emails back and forth. There's going to be a tasting. There's going to be a lot more back and forth interaction over the course of six to 12 months, as opposed to someone who's calling up and saying, hey, I want an anniversary cake for next weekend. Mm -hmm. That's true. I will say there is a little bit of a 
a rallying cry from bakers that I saw happen online. And that was probably six or eight months ago where they were ranting about couples who go and request a sheet cake, um, Mm. and then just get a smaller cake to cut, which you guys, I, I don't have a problem with this. And I'm sure some bakers are like, screw you, Heather, like don't tell people to do this, but it's, true that the sheet cake in the back room, no one's seeing it. It does not need to be fancy and pretty and have fondant on it. So there is something there that can be more affordable, but this group of bakers were like, that's not fair. I put the same energy into making that cake and I'm going to charge my wedding cake price versus the standard cake price. And so that was one place where I saw where it did seem rather intentional. So I mean, like, I don't know if anyone listening to this is a baker and remembers the situation and on our Facebook group wants to like talk about it. And so you can school me on how I'm a jerk, but that one, that was the only time I've seen it where it seemed intentional. You know, it's so funny because I think I remember the same exact thing you were talking about because it was in a Facebook group that I used to be in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, was, it wasn't that they're doing it purposefully because they want to get credit or be paid for a wedding cake status. It was, it doesn't change the level of work I put into it. Yeah. It's still the same ingredients. It still takes the same amount of work. I think one of them went as far to say it still has buttercream smoothly put on the outside. I'm not just slapping it on there haphazardly. Mm-hmm. It still takes time. Yeah. I'm just not stacking it up on top of itself right. and putting it out front for everybody to see. So the amount of time was pretty parallel on a sheet cake versus a kitchen cake or sheet cake slash kitchen cake, um, which is the same thing over a multi-tiered cake. Yes, there's some supports in there. And I, I actually have a little bit more insight because my cousin who's probably one of my best friends in the world is a baker. Yeah. So she's like, she's very much like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't change. Mm -hmm. It's still just as much work. It's that people are hoping to get a deal by doing it that way. Yeah. And we're like, well, that doesn't really, that's not how I'm not going to use lesser ingredients on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, cause I don't want to compromise the quality of what I'm making. I want people to eat that and go, Oh, who made this? Your cake was great. Which, by the way, couples, if you're listening, that's also why your baker doesn't want you mixing desserts if possible. Because if you bring in Costco chocolate chip cookies next to their gourmet cookies, and then they ask who did your desserts and you say this person's name, they may be like, they went out and bought Costco cookies. Mm, They may be able to know. They're very savvy and know those Costco cookies well. You know, I'm a Costco cookie aficionado, unfortunately. <laughs> you can spot but, those across the room. It's so funny that you and I saw the same exact interaction and I was like, yes, bakers, go. And you were like. <laughs> I was totally. I was like. They have to be paid just as much. And I'm like, no, it's because they work just as much. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get that. I think it was that I can see like, because I actually checked like the local bakery that I refer to in this case. And they do charge a totally different amount. If you get a sheet cake, it's way cheaper. And then if you get fascinating the cake that people see that is displayed, that requires fondant, that requires special elaborate decor and really architecture of building a big cake, that they charge more for that. So at least that's the one that I refer to. So, I mean, it depends on the bakery too. I, if you're going in here in San Diego, there's a place called Extraordinary Desserts. It's incredible. It's like my favorite place to go get a fancy schmancy dessert. It's not going to matter what shape the cake is. It's going to be really expensive, but that's going to be a cake that you're just like, wow, 
that is some of the best cake I've ever had. And I'm like, that's the same thing with your cousin. Like you're getting that premier high end bakery. Now, if you're going to a standard bakery that offers cakes and offers cookies and offers donuts, I don't know, like all sorts of different things to people just walking in, not specializing in weddings or like upscale cakes, you know, I think I can see that where it's just, that's how much their cakes cost, no matter what shape they make them. Where if you go to the off the, you know, the corner bakery, it might be something a little more different because they're also making like sheet cakes for like little Tommy's soccer team and things like that. And you could just get one of those in the back room and take the little, little child with a soccer ball off the top of the cake. You know, it's so interesting because while you're explaining like the difference between the front of house cake and the back of house cake and saying fondant and architectural, I immediately in my mind, I'm going, well, yeah, fondant's harder to smooth over. It takes a lot more time. And if they're going to have fondant on the back cake. So basically the point of, because in my mind, I'm already starting to defend that baker again for those cost <laughs> That's differences. Fine. We knew this it's was so going to be a debate episode. <laughs> we did. Like coming into this, I was like, listen, I get mad when people use the term wedding tax. And <laughs> there's like, let's talk about wedding tax and how it screws people. I mean, she didn't say it quite like that, but I'm like, I thought it I'm that way. <laughs> and she's like, I'm defending the couples. It just, we knew, we knew it was going to be great. But, but we both see each other's sides. And yeah. I think with that, baker's example, that's where it's really important to trust your vendor. And if something feels fishy, bail, Mm -hmm. like get out because there's a lot of different prices for different kinds of cake, for the structure of a cake, for the architectural integrity of the cake. If they're building something up for fondant and the amount of time that it takes to do that. I know some bakers who won't even touch it. One, because I think it tastes like feet. I don't like it. Not taste good. Yeah, and two, it's hard to work with if it cracks, if it gets lumpy. I mean, there's so much that goes on. So as a couple, if you start to feel like, wait, there's a discrepancy, ask the question, mm-hmm. why? Because oftentimes you may hear, well, fondant's more expensive and it, it takes longer to work with and it tastes like feet. Uh, I doubt that Baker will say that if they work with it. By the way, if you're a baker and you like work with fondant, I'm sorry. It's beautiful. Kind of. It's beautiful. It's like a sculpture. I a beautiful sculpture that tastes not so good to me. (laughs) So if as a couple you're like, I think I'm getting swindled, just ask the question. And if they give you a straightforward answer, great. At least they've explained the cost difference to you. And hopefully they've assuaged your concerns. If they don't answer it or they dodge it, just get out. Go to somebody else because I know so many vendors who don't charge more simply because it's a wedding. Mm-hmm. They hear the word and they add the price tag. It's more work. It's more difficult. There's so much more going on for a wedding, the back and forth, the meetings, the conversations, and the quality the of ingredients. What was that? The pressure. Just the oh, pressure of it all. Golly, yes. But if it feels fishy, bail. And this also goes for vendors. If people start asking questions, explain stuff. Mm -hmm. You want to win them over, show them your integrity and just be like, yeah, there is an added cost for that because I find that it takes me an additional six hours, 20 hours when working with a wedding client versus a family portrait session. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's a huge part of it. And also like the point of this episode isn't to attack bakers. I'm sorry. I do love your treats. (laughs) I'm being a jerk, but I, I think this is something Jamie and I do agree on is there's a butt for every seat. And so I think there are some bakers out there like, yeah, sure. I'd do a separate sheet cake and charge a little less. I kind of 
speed through it or not focus as much. That's up to you. Obviously some of you are like, no, that's not me. And I'm charging the same for anything. And I think that there's going to be clients who work for both types of people. So that's something to allow for too, is just no, not every client's going to be a great fit for you, but you know how you attract the better clients, the ones that work with you by doing better marketing. Yes. Circle full circle. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. You want to attract the people who, who suit you. And so if you're someone who's like never in a million years, would I make a sheet cake and sell it for a lower price? You probably, you know, don't want me mentioning you on Instagram because some of my clients would ask you <laughs> about that option. And you're going to be like, why does Heather keep telling them to do this? And the thing is, I'm going to keep telling my clients to do it because they have the money they have. So they need to make enough cake. Okay. And that's just the reality. Which is so funny because I'm going to keep telling my clients, like, just be aware a sheet cake may not be cheaper because it may not be less work. Yeah. It's so funny, but you got to ask though. I mean, I'm in the camp and I guess there's like different mindsets with this of asking for things. And some people find it offensive, but I always just think like, there's no harm in asking. They're not asking you because they assume your time is not valuable. They're asking because they're working on the budget they're working on and you can say yes or no. And they're not trying to get you to work for free. So I guess as a vendor, like keep that in mind too. You don't have to immediately be like, wow, this person's a jerk. They're just trying to, they're also asking because they don't know any better. Yeah. They don't know any better and they want to see what's possible. And maybe that's where you educate them a little and go, you know, if that's your price point, let's look at this option and come up with a way that you can make something work. And I think that's something that's really powerful as vendors to stay solution oriented with your clients and potential clients. Yeah, absolutely. Man. So much in this episode. This was an exciting one. So much when it comes to the wedding tax, because whether you think it's real or whether you don't think it's real, what we want to do here at the Union Podcast is really encourage vendors to be effective in their marketing, be effective with where they're spending their money, because we want to see you guys thrive. We've said it before. We're going to say it again. There is a tush for every seat. We know that you guys can definitely be successful. So definitely don't accidentally slap yourself with a wedding tax because you're not marketing appropriately. And then for couples, for clients, if something feels fishy or you feel like you're being charged more, ask why. And if you feel like it's not the right answer or they're still being wishy-washy with you, feel free to bail. But oftentimes what you'll find is you'll see the true character and the true heart of the vendor behind the business saying, here's why we charge extra because we want to give you this kind of service. We want to be available to answer your email at any time during business hours throughout the week, as opposed to someone who just picks up an anniversary cake and we may not see again for another five years, but it's one phone call. It's one order form. There's a big difference. So whether you think the wedding tax is real or not, vendors... Don't accidentally do it to yourself, okay? And clients, give the vendors some grace and feel free to ask some questions. You've just walked down the aisle of today's episode of the Union Podcast. Thank you for celebrating today's show with us. We hope that you found a little gem of wedding wisdom from this episode. Please let us know your feedback by sharing a screenshot of this episode on Instagram. Be sure to tag at Union Podcast so we can hear your voices. Let us know what topics you'd love to hear about on future episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Until next time, stay lovely, wedding friends. 
That was a good one. I knew I knew I was gonna start getting you riled up when I brought up the bakers. Like, I <laughs> well, I felt I fine. I thought it was so funny because I read it so differently. Isn't that weird? Oh man, I was like about to jump in the conversation with the bakers and be like, I don't understand. How could it cost the same? And I didn't because I was just like, I don't want all these people to hate me immediately. Um, and just set a bad, bad tone out here with all the people who bake yeah. in the world. But That's so funny because I saw other comments that were like, I don't spend less time on the kitchen cake. Yeah. Like, why would I charge less? Mm-hmm. No, and I can I can definitely see that. But I, I can also see where some bakers would have a different mindset about it and a different yep. standard, I guess, for that. Yep. Oh, I totally agree. And if you're okay with that as a couple, like you're okay with it. And if you're not, you know, go to the baker who's going to make them all the same. Yeah. Oh, exactly. But I mean, for me personally, I wouldn't mind like little Tommy's soccer cake. 